0: listening to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and I am joined today by Molly D'Ameliere. She is the PR lead of the Americas at ACAST. Welcome to the program, Molly. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you can be here because you have just really, I think, a unique story to share with us today, and I'm excited to kind of dig into it. So before we get started, can you tell us
1: just a little bit about yourself and ACAST and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So for folks who don't know, ACAST is the hosting, distribution, and monetization platform for podcasts across the open ecosystem. And as the PR lead for the Americas, I oversee both the content and the commercial side for our media relations and broad communication strategy in that region. But also because we are a very lean but mighty team, it we have a very like US focus on our media relations, but a global lens. So what that means is a lot of our news is very driven to our priority US market, but we also understand how to tailor it to Sweden, for example, or the UK. So I work really closely globally to make sure that all of that messaging is aligned while also Hitting those individual market nuances.
0: I'm curious when you look at Europe, is that considered as a continent and one place, or do you typically look at it as being all of the many different countries that it is? And
1: do you address each market differently? We definitely address each market differently, also because of language. When we're dealing with communications, especially, you have to be really aligned with the language. You know, we translate everything into Swedish, for example. That's where. ACAT started from. That's where we have a really, really strong presence. So everything we do, we need to translate there so that we're still paying attention to that market. And then we're also a really big brand in France. So we then translate everything to French and we have to speak colloquially to those people. And I don't speak Swedish. I don't speak French. I know how to create broad communications and then just guide my team there and how to best speak to their markets the way that they know how.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask if you spoke Swedish. Now that you've been working <laughs> so closely with
1: ACAS, that seems <laughs> to be a hard
0: language to learn.
1: <laughs> yeah, funny enough, I actually have an aunt who lived in Sweden, so I know a few words oh. here and there. I cannot get by and much, but I do pick up a couple of things here.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking a lot about PR today, since that is your specialty. And before we go any deeper, I would love to have you just define PR for us. I feel like I've been in advertising my whole career and everyone defines it so differently. So I'm, I'm just curious what your definition is. They absolutely
1: do define it very differently. And I've seen this throughout my career. I started before so I was on the agency side of things. And I saw especially really young startup companies that had no idea what PR was. So they also didn't know what they were buying when they hired a PR agency, which is a huge problem. At mm-hmm. best, I think a lot of people see it as just getting a bunch of what I call pitching mules that it's like they all they want you to do is just blast out emails that could be automated and at this point probably are automated without any sort of careless you know, strategy behind it or personalization. And then at the absolute worst is the people who just know PR from TV shows like Sex and the City. And so Samantha Jones character and in grad school, I actually had classmates who said that they got into PR because they wanted to host parties and, you know, drink Cosmos in the Hamptons. And every professor just like collapsed every time. <laughs> but what PR really is, is strategic corporate communications and media relations. And I think relations are such an important word there because it's building those strong relationships with reporters. We at ACAS, we spend so much time just getting to know the reporters and especially the trade press who we're talking to on almost a daily basis and reading everything that they're writing. So we actually know them on a very personal level that we understand the way that they're thinking so that we can also anticipate the questions that they're going to have, the conversations that they're having in the broader industry and where we can fit into that.
0: Yeah. I think that you and I have had some some time to talk. And for me, Just thinking about it from that perspective, I think, makes so much sense because really, ultimately, it is about creating relationships with the media so that when they need information or when they have something that they want to share, that you can be part of that conversation. And you really can only do that if you already have those pre-existing relationships. I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. of course, there is the chance that if you send something in, people are going to just publish it because they need something or maybe it just happens to be something that strikes their interest, but having those pre-existing relationships so that you can be there and also being in constant contact with people and letting them know what's going on in your organization. All of those elements, I think, are really the pieces that come together to create a strong PR approach is what it seems like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think even those like quick hits when they're trying to fill space, when you understand the way that they're building their business and doing their job, you understand how to get those quick hits in. Like for example, Chris at Inside Podcasting, I know that he's always looking for stuff on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday for his Thursday newsletter. So that's when I send him things. In getting copies with Ashley Kerman, I know exactly the times that she's looking to get things for her Thursday newsletter, the day that she's starting to write it. So mm-hmm. I, it's those little nuances of just having those relationships. So you're like, OK, well, this might not be a monster story, but we might be able to get a little bit of love for it just because I understand how people work.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you obviously have a great
1: understanding of PR. How did you get into podcasting? So I actually got into podcasting by podcasting, um, which is a little bit of a backwards move. I hadn't really listened to podcasts before I started. I'd say this is, going four or five years ago at this point, I was living in New York in a little apartment with a bunch of stand-up comedians that definitely was not enough, you know, what the city would define as bedrooms. And <laughs> so many people could be there. So we had some microphones and me and one of my uh, now best friends who became my co-host business partner, we decided to start our own podcast. We have the microphones. I and- are just always having these conversations. And we have a lot of funny friends. So let's see what we can make from it. So we started a dating and relationship podcast that was based on a lot of the just bad advice that women get. So we would take almost every episode was centered around a piece of research. So both read a lot, look at a lot of self-help material. So then we would read these books, assess these TED Talks, all these things, and either talk with the author or talk with a comedy friend, sometimes just each other, and see why this information didn't really work for women and why it wasn't really effective for modern dating. So trying to bring this really feminist point of view. Wow, that's so neat. And so it's you were a, a
0: podcaster, and then I presume mm-hmm. you saw the opportunity at ACAST and, and moved in that direction.
1: Yeah. So a little bit before that I was working um at a PR agency and I had started working with Netflix on their corporate communication side. And I was really loving the business side of entertainment. And I was lucky enough that the people who were managing my account load saw that, saw, you know, my passion for that space and they put me on the iHeart Podcast uh, team. <laughs> So mm-hmm. then it, they were like, you know, we know that you like to do this outside of work. You're doing really well on Netflix. Here's another one that keeps setting you out for success. And it was just a lot of luck. And then when the opportunity came up at ACAST, I wasn't super familiar with the company at the time, but mm-hmm. I had seen some things. I think it was actually about a year before I wasn't quite ready for what started as a manager role, but I had seen that kind of open up. I remember thinking in my head, I was like, I like this company. If there's ever a job at a manager role a little bit further down the line, I'm going to apply for it. Like, I think that's a good spot for me. And sure enough, about a year later, it opened up and it all really worked out. That's awesome.
0: So you have been doing or your history is in PR. And while you've been focusing on on podcasts recently, you've worked with many different industries, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. in in the PR realm. How do you feel like podcasts really compare to other industries? And I mean, it sounds like you worked quite a bit in entertainment, but tell us like what stands out to you about an approach through, through podcasting.
1: I think there's so many parallels between podcasting today and where streaming was about five years ago. I would love to hear um, you say that. That's <laughs> so interesting. Tell us more. So about 2018, when I was first starting to work with Netflix, the two things that we were really talking about at the time was Standardization of measurement and Asia as an emerging market, which that's so much of what you're hearing today. And at ACAPS, we've been having really similar conversations, you know, one with our, our recent announcement to have Podscribe as our global attribution partner and to long, no longer accept Spotify ad analytics on our campaigns. And then also, we recently, about a year ago, we opened up a team in Singapore and we now have some folks over there and starting to grow more into the Asian market. So I, I think it's just so interesting, and a lot of those reporters are also the same who have been in uh, the podcast space. So for me, I, I feel like I've been at a real advantage in my career because people like Ashley Carmen, Todd Spangler, Variety. I've been working with them since like 2017, 2018, just on background conversation. And a lot of it, I wasn't actually pitching for Netflix. I would be doing a lot more of the outreach on when there were corrections that needed to be made in articles or. A little bit more of like the background work, but I was getting just little bits into these reporters. And D'Amelior is not the most common last name, but sure you know. So I, a lot of them, I think it clicked, like this girl had some sort of like quads into Netflix. We need to pay attention to her. So I was just fortunate to keep growing those relationships and carrying them along to different accounts as I was on the agency side and now just continuing to foster them or have that be a point of reach out of, you know, hey, we haven't worked together in a while. Uh, you might remember me from Netflix and then introduce them to Acas. So it's been a really great tool for me down the line. Yeah,
0: yeah, I would think so. So one of the things that I have recently been seeing more of from advertisers is this request to take the ad read that they've put together and that the hosts have put together and publicize them in some way. So so let's, let's take an example. So essentially, you know, let's say we have a, a food delivery company that's going to advertise on a female lifestyle show. And once that ad has run, they're wanting to take that ad read, share it across social media, potentially put it on their website, maybe include it in a newsletter, and maybe even like send it out. And This is something that, I mean, it's not brand new. You know, for me, we definitely have had advertisers in the past who have asked about that. But the fact that it's been coming up more and more, I find really fascinating. And I guess I'm just really curious what your take on it is, because as we look at podcast advertising, there's so much potential in it to really leverage the campaign beyond just that ad read. And so I applaud these advertisers because I feel like they're really looking at it from a more kind of maybe global marketing approach, as opposed to just saying like, I'm going to do this spend, which I feel like happens a lot with brands. They do a, a spend. It feels very kind of isolated from the rest of their planning. And for me, that integration, you know, there's a lot of power in that. But I also feel like it opens up this big kind of list of questions and concerns. They're obviously paying for this, right? It's not like you know, if you pay Conan O'Brien to do an ad read for you, you can't really take Conan O'Brien's name and put it on your website and be like, "Conan O'Brien endorsed my product. He loves us. He eats us all the time." Like that doesn't really work, right? And I mean, it is sponsored content. So I, I would love to just talk a little bit about about this concept and and what advertisers are doing, but also how can advertisers leverage their podcast
1: ad campaigns and what should they be doing? Yeah, I, first of all, I think this is really exciting that you're seeing that shift in advertisers, because I think it's, it's really leaning into podcasters as influencing influencer marketing, which Agreed. is exactly what we've been trying to communicate at Acas And we have a whole side of the business called ACAST Creative, which really leads into that element of podcasters. And we create, you know, assets like uh, Instagram Reels and TikToks and just really expanding beyond just a host read, but then also it'll be branded podcast content, like fully branded actual podcasts themselves or episodes within native feeds. But what I love about this as a PR person and some of the speed bumps that I've come into is a lot of brands I've found have been very cagey to talk about the host read campaign that they've done, which... <laughs> Kind of blows my mind because most like, well, this is public out there. Like if you're, if you're listening to a podcast, they're going to say, like, you know, I love XYZ food brand, that it's a little crazy to me that that can be get a no because it is considered public information. So I think seeing them lean into this and want it to be on other feeds is now opening up that conversation to be had more broadly about podcasting as an effective influencer marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. What I would love to see added to that is if we can align on some measurement standards, because I think that is what is getting brands to say like, ah, we don't really want to talk about that because they then don't want to talk about how it potentially performs. But if we can look at That's it as a whole, Yeah, because if you think about other uh, forms of media, I've talked with a few reporters about this, and they've said it's across the industry. I was like, well, that makes me feel a lot better that it's not just me uh, getting the hard nose. But they say more legacy forms of advertising, it's pretty cut and dry of how you can see an ad perform. So like a Super Bowl campaign, for example, like it's really flashy. Everybody sees it, you can see that it does really well. So they're gonna want to talk. About it. Also it always gets a lot of press. Mm-hmm. But a a podcast celeb hostry that is just kind of like, yeah, like we don't really know how to quantify that because everyone does it differently. And it's like, yeah, this person talked about it for 30 seconds, but like what does that really mean? So, I think being able to put it in this holistic campaign, we can have a much bigger conversation. And then, if we can align on how to measure that podcast portion of it, mm-hmm. then we can really be having a real conversation about the effectiveness of that. So, I think yeah. it's a step in that direction is I see it. yeah,
0: yeah, no, I think that you're you're right. And I love the comparison to the Super Bowl ads. And I think that one of the things that's very challenging about podcast ad reads, is who owns that ad? Is Does the brand own the ad? Does the podcaster own the ad? Should the advertiser pay more if they want to use that in different places? So it's something that we're approaching as an upcharge. So essentially we're saying like, yes, you can use this, but you know, we're gonna charge you a bit more. We wanna understand exactly where you're gonna be sharing it. We wanna know for how long you're gonna be sharing it. And then for me, just to follow the law, I feel like we also need to say you have to make sure that this is marked as being sponsored content because, mm-hmm. like they they shouldn't share it pretending that it was just an organic mention of some sort. But I guess I'm curious, right. like, what is your perspective on it in terms of ownership? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Wow, that's a really great question. I think it would probably be the brand that would own it because there was a a payment exchange but I I agree (laughs) that you know they're they're buying that space of content in the feed but I think as an industry it does need to be a very very clear alignment because you can't say well you know I worked with so and so this time and they owned it why is it different this time so I think it, it does need to be standardized across the board Mm-hmm. And I believe that it does really need to be clear that it, that it's an ad, and especially on different channels, mm-hmm. social media channels in particular, are getting really cracking down on how things are going to be labeled. And it's also different globally. So if you're looking at global listenership, global audiences, you really mm-hmm. need to consider the way that you're creating this content and the transparency that you're put going forward with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. also, everyone everyone really knows an endorsement when they hear it anyway. And I think podcasters have gotten a pretty sly in maybe they're trying to get more money out of brands and saying, you know, this isn't an endorsement yet, wink wink. <laughs> and it, and when they're talking about something that they like that they're not getting paid for it. So I think when it's not happening, listeners are very aware of it. And when it is happening, listeners are are very aware at this point too.
0: Yeah. I feel like I don't know if you've noticed this, but I don't know, six 10 years ago, anytime someone mentioned a product, they never talked about whether or not it was a sponsorship. And, you know, I mean, obviously we all remember the days of like, oh, I'm going to send you this product to like a blogger and the blogger would all of a sudden write all these great articles about this new cookware set they got or whatever. Right. And um, I remember when all that first started happening, thinking, what a genius idea. These bloggers like get all of this free product and all they have to do is write this cool article. And I just thought it was like a genius concept. But now here we are. And I feel like now when I hear people talk about products, so often they'll say, and this isn't an ad. Just so you know, I really love this product and it's not an ad. I mean, and I think like that's fine and it's great to know that. Right. But also part of me thinks if they were giving you money for it you would still take it you know like as an influencer i'm sure the influencer would be happy if that brand said oh yeah well you love our product so much we're going to sponsor your show and we want to give you more product and we want you to share it more frequently so i i do think that there is this kind of balance that we have to find within the influencer space where you know where people are talking about products and we want it to be as organic as possible but we also don't i guess i don't I don't ever want us to talk down to the paid placements because there's a reason that we do paid placements, right? And it's because they can be extremely effective. We can get the exposure for brands that we want to get in a more calculated way that is something that the brand is really managing as opposed to just somebody talking about your product. Because you don't know what they're going to say about your product if they're just talking about it in a truly organic way.
1: Right. And so I think the cynic in me (laughs) says Mm -hmm. that a lot of podcasters do that because they know how the back end game works, that they hope either a salesperson, manager for their podcast, someone hears them say, I love HelloFresh. And then all of a sudden they're going to get a bunch of HelloFresh samples, a bunch of HelloFresh money, sort of scoop that stuff up because I think people do kind of know how the game works at this Mm -hmm. point. But yeah, it's it's so interesting where that endorsement is going.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, we'll have to definitely keep an eye. And, you know, for me, it's just like, oh, one other thing in the podcast <laughs> space that isn't standardized that we really don't have like a shared approach to perhaps as an industry. But I mean, I I think it's great. And I I'm curious, what are some other things that you think advertisers should or could be doing? maybe either in conjunction with an ad campaign or after an ad campaign to really capitalize on it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think one thing that we're really trying to push forward with our advertisers is to create this bigger story around the ad campaigns that they are doing, especially those really big moment campaigns. We're working on one right now that it will be coming out. It'll have just come out once this episode's released. Uh, It's on Hispanic Heritage Month, and it's this really, really beautiful campaign about uh, Hispanic women and their journey in hair care and mm-hmm. understanding how to get the right products to um, make their hair look really healthy and to feel beautiful. And it's it's just amazing, beautifully done campaign from ACAS Creative. And just getting brands to talk about the story in the ads that they're doing is something that I think will ha- resonate a lot with audiences instead of just saying yeah we ran this ad it performed let's move on to the next thing so it's something that we're really trying to focus on because it, effective advertising is this bigger brand storytelling whether it's you know a, a really big brand creative like that that I just said or if it's these you know small 30 second dynamically inserted like there's some element of story in there So what is it that you're trying to tell as a brand? And then
0: yeah, yeah. there's
1: also a reason behind that story that you're selecting the podcasters or the audiences that you, you know, at NCASP, we're extremely audience first. Mm -hmm. So it's not always just the podcasters that we want to target. It's the people that they're talking to. It's like, okay, why do you want to talk to audiences of Hispanic women? Because you're going for this campaign about how to feel beautiful in your own journey in hair care and to feel accepted in that way.
0: I love that. I I absolutely love that. And for me, there's a couple of things that you said in there that I think are really important. First, it's all about the audience, right? I mean, the host is just really kind of the vehicle to get the message out. And yes, Mm -hmm. of course, it's about the host in the respect that you want to make sure that you're connecting with the host as a brand because that moment that you have that connection, then there is that ability to really have the host endorse your product well, to speak about your product in a really authentic way. So that piece is really important. But ultimately, it's not about the host, it's about the audience. So Mm -hmm. I just I love that that is your approach, because that's the goal is to get out in front of the audience. But that also, I think, really dovetails into the idea of creative and how we're approaching Mm -hmm. creative and I I still think that creative is so underlooked in podcasting. It doesn't yeah. even feel to me like, I mean, obviously you guys have a creative team at ACast. And I am sure like if we went through the bigger, like the iHearts and, you know, some of the bigger podcast companies, of course they have creative departments, but that's the very top, right? And then it kind of goes down from there. And My guess would be that if we were to survey 10 top creative agencies and say, hey, we want you to design a podcast ad campaign, they either maybe would have never done one before or have to really, you know, think about how am I going to start on this? Because it's just it doesn't feel like it's something that people are doing.
1: I would agree. And I also think there is the opposite extreme where it's sometimes the wrong brand want to go too big into brand creative you know Mm -hmm. i think at acast we have a few different models of how we do it Uh and our director of acast creative and executive producer her name is shante howell she is absolutely brilliant and amazing at what she does and one of the problems that she's really had to educate the market on is when you say brand creative every brand is like ah yeah well we'll just make a branded podcast well are you actually going to be able to sustain it or (laughs) Is that the right <laughs> message for, for what you're doing? Oh, that's and so funny. She, yeah. She has spearheaded two under ACAST that are absolutely phenomenal that everyone should go listen to. One is called Roundabout. It's by State Farm. And the other one is called Self from a uh, startup a financial company, also called Self Financial. But the thing that's really incredible about what she did there is they're all by, all of the episodes are individual from podcasters from the ACAST Creative Network. So it's not just folks, people from the brand talking about the brand. It's storytelling that the brand is just a part of the conversation on. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really enjoyable podcast to that I think is so important instead of like, okay, how do we tell a a State Farm Farm story? What story does State Farm fit into? Roundabout, it's road trips. And everyone has a really compelling road trip story from some point in their life. And in there, we have some really just amazing soundscaping that happens too, that I just love. Like, I think travel and cars specifically give so much just beautiful audio mm-hmm. to just the sound of the road, the sound of engines, everything around you. It's just like a really, really beautiful creative production.
0: That's awesome. And I think that you really kind of have hit the nail on the head. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with branded podcasts. I think, as you've mentioned, when they're done well, they can be amazing. I think that if you are a relatively like mid to large size company, you should have a podcast. It's In terms of like the production of a podcast, it's really not all that difficult. I think, as you mentioned, it's obviously super important that you're not creating a podcast that's just A 30-minute advertisement, right? No one wants to listen to that. So you do the creative piece, I think, for branded podcasts is crucial. And there are so many great branded podcast production companies out there who can really be super helpful. I think corporations should all have podcasts, personally. But then, like, as you mentioned, like, that's kind of the pinnacle for me, right? Is like, mm-hmm. we're going to have our own show, but then what are we looking at from an advertising perspective, mm-hmm. right? And how are we creating our entire campaign? And for me, it reaches over, it's all of the elements, right? It's, it's we're going to create this very orchestrated message about who we are as an organization and our marketing approach overall. From A to Z should be all encompassing of this messaging, and podcasts should just fit in there. And I guess I just I feel that too often podcasts still feel like a real just add on and afterthought. And it and I guess that for me is the hardest part behind it because it's not an add on and it, it it isn't an afterthought. And you need you know we need the marketers to be approaching it in a way where it is fully integrated into their overall messaging and i think for me this does go again back to creative is that i think often marketers feel like because they're not the ones having the ad recorded and cut and delivered that means it it shouldn't maybe follow their same marketing path but for me that's when it's even more important and I love the idea with this Hispanic Heritage Month that you've got this really clear through line of what the content is meant to be within the ad. And it's obviously all leading back, I presume, to a hair care product company. Yeah. And like, but but what a great way to tell a story instead of just run an ad. And my guess is, is that they're not just doing that approach in podcasting. They're
1: probably doing that approach in other places as well yeah absolutely you know i i think there's so many creative ways to to get these ads out there we also work with the higher ground company mm-hmm. and they're just the the obama's higher ground company for folks okay. who don't know and it's they're just the masters of storytelling and we've started to work with them on sort of what's going back to like this influencer marketing concept using those podcasters as influencers for the brand and bringing in social media on top of it so we currently have a show um, that we produce with them called your mama's kitchen and it's with michelle norris who was formerly from npr all things considered so a massive audience yes and what she does on her show is she brings in her celebrity friends pacemakers just people from all over um, who are well known to talk about their mother's kitchen and sort of the memories they have from that time. And so the conversation can really just run the gambit, but it's sponsored by an alcohol brand. And within that, we have what ACAPS we call sponsored stories. So it's about a four minute long long segment that's individualized to each episode. And then on top of that, we on social media then put out a recipe with the alcohol brand from that guest who was on the show that week. And it's just completely unique. Somehow will align to their story within the episode. And it's so it's this four-minute long segment. It's the sponsorship at the top of the show. It's social media. And then it's this whole just amazing conversation about family and food nostalgia around the brand. And it's just, it's absolutely brilliant. I
0: love it. I feel like I'm going to have to listen to that podcast. Yeah, (laughs) definitely do. Your mama's kitchen. I'm going to mark that one down. So kind of changing lanes just a little bit, we always talk in the podcast industry about kind of how close knit the industry is. And, you know, it's we all go to podcast movement and we're like, hey, here's like the, you know, 500 of us or whatever, 100 of us that all talk to each other over the last year and we get to see each other face to face. How should How should folks be leveraging kind of the trade publications to make a bigger splash within the
1: podcast community? The trade publications, regardless of what industry you're in, are exactly where you need to be. And and no matter what stage you're at as a business, because where you start the conversation as a new business, but as an older company, you don't want to just turn your back and say, okay, well, we're only going to talk to mainstream now, because I guarantee you that. Ashley Carmins of the world and Anne Steele at Wall Street Journal, they're reading James Cridlin at Pod News. They, because those, they have to cover those beats, but they also have to cover a lot of other things. So they are getting the information from those trades. So you need to, it's sort of like your first level of entry is to make sure that the trades know exactly who you are, what you do, and like you and the business. So they're going to write positively. So Mm -hmm. there's so much that goes into that. It's not only just creating really strong news communication, but it's going back to what we were talking about earlier, just the great relationship building. So we spend so much time talking with reporters on background, getting coffee, drinks, dinner, any of the things that we can at podcast movement or other events in the industry and just spending the time. We even take, um, with some reporters who are a little more techie or just kind of want to nerd out on what we're doing, we'll set up product demos that we have, you know, they have no intention of covering, but they get to know our product team and kind of look under the hood of what's putting at ACAST and kind of, you know, walk through some of our interfaces and see how we're thinking, what we're thinking about for the future. And it's just, it's invaluable. And I think I've been at ACAST now for a little over two years, and I was really fortunate to walk into a really strong trade press relationship and it has just continued to grow. That this was the first year at podcast movement I had Trade Press reaching out to me for meetings. I was like, oh my gosh, like I need to start booking up my calendar for weeks and weeks in advance. But it was just really amazing to see that now, because of all of that hard work from the entire global team, ACAST is seen as someone that they need to talk to. They need to understand what's happening to then understand the broader industry. Mm.
0: Love it, love it. I feel like that is all just so so important, and there's there's so many levels, but really, I think that the trade publications are incredibly helpful. So if you are a brand that is trying to break into podcast advertising or try to understand podcast advertising or even just the entire kind of ecosphere here, I think really getting dialed into some of those is super helpful, so I know. Mm-hmm. So I I guess I'm I'm curious, Molly, not to put you on the spot, but like, because I know you really shouldn't have favorites as a PR person, but like if, if somebody has not really cracked into any of the podcast trade publications, where do you think they should start?
1: Oh, I love them all equally. I kind of feel like a mother with her children. Yes, I'm sure. (laughs) But I would say, I think James Credlin at Pod News and Sam Seffi, who is his co-host on the Pod News Weekly Review. They, in a lot of folks' eyes, I think really are just like the first line of defense when it comes to all news. If Pod News is covering it, the majority of the other trades will. I would say the one who I have really enjoyed getting to spend time getting to know, but then also educate on what we're doing in our business model and has helped actually inform later some of our business narratives has been Frank Sachs at Inside Radio and Podcast News Daily. He is an old, you know, a traditional radio reporter. So he still likes to take an interview. He likes to ask questions and Q&As. So it helps you add a little bit more than just the standard press release into the conversation that you're trying to set. Brad Hill at Rain News, He's the one who likes a little bit more of that techier side and he would love a product demo, get to see a little bit more of what's going on. And of course, Brian Norletta sounds profitable. He just, I feel like he knows everyone in the industry and he can make every connection possible. And his team is also growing up, really, really gotten to work well with Manuela and Gavin on his team now and their just, I feel like by this time next year, we're going to be seeing a totally different version of Sounds Profitable and the type of work that they're covering. So I think it's important to to see where folks are headed. You know, I think, sorry, I could talk about this forever, but Alyssa Myers is a really great example of that. She's over at Marketing Brew, which for a cast she of the B2B business. Yes. Yeah. I yes. love Alyssa. I actually started working with her a hundred years ago well, when no, look, marketing brew been going on forever right No, so morning brew has been around for longer but okay they started uh, who is at Ad age now she started marketing brew i want to say not that long ago go. 2017 2018 oh really yeah so, so that i'm thinking
0: the, of morning brew then
1: yeah it's the parent company but a that started i want to say around 2017 20 about that time as a fellow just out of college at Business Insider. And that's when I was just starting the iHeartbeat. And I was like, I don't know what this podcasting thing is. So then I started working a little bit with Alyssa, and I feel like we kind of grew there. I was like, this girl knows what she's talking about. So I just absorbed everything she was doing. And then very slowly, she started to move over. And now she's in a really great spot. And for a long time, was predominantly covering audio. At marketing group, which was huge for getting ACAS B two B narrative out there, so it's the media landscape is always changing. Mm-hmm. But so if a reporter leaves, do not think that as a loss. They are going somewhere else, and it yeah. might be even even better. You know, Ash, yeah. I think Ashley Carmen, I've mentioned a million times on this. Is I started working with her at a similar time that I started working with Alyssa yeah. when she was um, at The Verge covering audio tech very broadly. And Nick Quab is still doing Hot Pod. So, I mean, podcasting was just a very rare, you could tell it was an interest of her. And then all of a sudden, she went to Bloomberg. I was like, hey, this is is better than Christmas for me. (laughs) I was so excited that day. Um, So it's, you know, relationships can change and sometimes for the better. And then when someone new comes in, that's just, now it's two publications that you have a relationship with. Right, right, uh, right. uh,
0: Absolutely. Totally. The other thing, too, that I think is really important that you mentioned is that what is so cool about the podcast space is that we have these very specific kind of niche trade publications, which are terrific. But what we're seeing is like we've just talked about with Marketing Brew and Bloomberg, like like these much bigger publications, even The Verge, like they're starting to and maybe starting is the wrong word because they've been doing it for a while. But I mean, they all have these audio and now leaning podcasts writers. And so like, as we're talking about a campaign, even being able to send a press release out to these publications and say, hey, this is what we're doing with our campaign. This is how we're approaching it. I mean, that is just really great information for those publications. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be trade specific within like our micro ecosphere. It could be even larger, but still within that podcast audio space. So there's just a lot of opportunity in there for for brands to really capitalize on getting more coverage beyond just the ads that they're purchasing
1: Absolutely. or the podcast that
0: they're producing, you know, their branded. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And one thing that I'm working on is sort of a phase two of our strategy now that we've really developed this trade relationship and we're confident in the coverage that we're getting there and the understanding of our narrative mm-hmm. is now looking at as a B2B business that guess is a Our focus is more of this advertising side. So it's, what are, what did that landscape fully look like? And I've actually noticed that there's a lot of reporters who are covering, not just advertising, but like niches within advertising of there's ones who are just covering the direct consumer brands. So do you have a campaign that fits in that niche? Because yeah, that reporter might not be covering podcasting. So you might not think about it immediately, but they are covering the type of brand that you are. So how can you back your way into that? And we have a really strong research brand at ACAST. So that's somewhere that we run very specialized research reports. And then we look and see where else it can fit into the market. Or if we're able to get brand approval on some campaigns to speak about, we'll also you know just send them specifically like this. Here's this case study. Would you like to talk about it? Which, as I said before, is a little bit more challenging to get the approvals on. But it's something that we're slowly starting to see happen. And I think the more we're able to be successful with it, the more that brands are going to want to have those opportunities. So it's just a little bit of like, you need that first big break to really get in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Molly, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a great conversation. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you?
1: I am on LinkedIn. I uh, just slash Molly D'Amelio. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you for listening. I hope that you
0: have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. I haven't talked a ton about PR on the show, so I feel like I got a ton of great ideas today. I hope you did as well, and I encourage you to go and implement them. And if you have not checked out my YouTube channel yet, please head on over to YouTube, search Heather Osgood Podcast Advertising Playbook, and check out our videos there. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Podcast to Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast to advertising industry.